0: Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope in our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. So this one is for the kids today. It is fitting as pastor of youth and family to explore how Jesus interacts with children during his life on earth and his ministry. And I brought props and stories today. What's beautiful about this passage is Jesus is using children as an example of how we should all behave, what we should all be striving to be like. So let's dive on into this passage to understand what Jesus' context is, how he approaches these children, how these children were understood in their time, because it's different than we think of children now. So starting with our passage here, Jesus is preaching throughout the countryside, and a group of mothers brought their children to see Jesus, to be blessed by them. Now, this might seem like a strange practice to us in the Christian Reformed Church, but it's not so strange that we can't fully understand it. Blessings were something that was a part of everyday life for people in Jesus' time. We see from the beginning of Scripture that blessings are part of the language of God and his people. Blessings were something good from God. In the book of Deuteronomy, we see that blessings of God's result in rain for their crops, to be healthy, to have good long lives, to be protected from danger all things that we want in our own lives and for our own children. It was very difficult to make a living back then as well. Food, a safe home, and long life, they were not guaranteed. People knew that they needed that extra help from God to have a good life. So they looked for an affirmation of blessing as a part of their daily life. So one of the places that they went to receive such a blessing were to their religious leaders, to their pastors, to their priests, They did not have access to God as we do now through the Holy Spirit. They needed to go see their local priest in order to ask them to ask God for a blessing on their behalf, to help them bring their request before God, atone for their sins through sacrifice, so anything that might have prevented them from living that blessed life. Now, sometimes a particularly famous priest or holy person would come into town and everyone would rush to receive their blessing from them. It's like how people in the Catholic Church, they have their own priests and bishop, but they would definitely rather see the pope. It's just that much more special. They're just that much closer to God, so their blessing must be something extra. And it was the same for Jesus. People recognized that he was special, that he could say and do things that others couldn't, so he must be the best person to receive that blessing from. So these mothers gathered up their children and the word that is used in the Greek, I know this is for the kids, but I have to geek out in Greek for a moment, tells us that these kids were probably about 10 or younger because in Greek there are two different words for older kids and younger kids and these are definitely younger than 10 kids. Sunday school age, you might say. They were eager to have these children meet Jesus, to have their kids be blessed by them. They believed that Jesus had the ability to really bless them, to really help them have those good lives. They knew that Jesus was an important part of their children's future, but they just maybe didn't realize exactly how important he was. Now, this seems like a simple thing, right? They want to bring their children to Jesus for a blessing. Surely, it wouldn't take too long. It was a part of their culture. It was something expected. But apparently, there was something in the minds of the disciples that made them stop the children from wanting to meet Jesus. Now, not every restriction in our lives are bad. Driver's licenses are an important part of community safety, as are speed limits and stop signs. In theory, they do restrict our ability to drive however you want, but they're for safety. Another example we might think of are roller coasters. Now, I'm gonna invite Pastor Steve up to help me with this bit. So, I wanna show up a picture of the biggest roller coaster that I've ever been on. Now, this is the behemoth in Canada's wonderland. It climbs up to 70 meters high and reaches speeds of 125 kilometers. Now this is a pretty intense roller coaster. And you need to be certain of the safety of the riders, which is why we often see a sign like this. Yeah, do you want to come on this side then, Pastor Steve? Awesome. All right, so Pastor Steve, you actually probably have the other problem of being too tall. So if you can hold this for me, I wanna invite up some volunteers in our congregation to see if they would be tall enough to ride. So if you wanna actually come in a little bit closer and get the arrow at 54 inches. All right, so who wants to see if they would be, if they went all the way to Ontario, if they wanted to see if they could come and have a ride. Yeah, just come on up, Pete. Would you be tall enough to ride this intense roller coaster? Just one? None of you want to ride roller coasters? Hey, he's tall enough. Thanks for coming on up, Pete. That's for you. Oh, we got two. Oh, now you all of a sudden want to try. All right, I've only got four boxes of Smarties left, so you'll have to find me later. Or I guess three. I might have had a snack. Oh, just too short, Amy. So sorry, but you can have Smarties as you go. All right. Yeah, you're good and tall. What about you? I don't know, nope, not enough. Awesome, I'll get you guys smarties later, I'm out. He, he you, you came up here knowing you were good. Yeah, <laughs> find me after, I have more candy in my office. All right, and this will be the last one here, with Ken. <gasps> Even on your tippy toes, oh, not quite. But I appreciate you trying, what about you, Curtis? Nope, still no, oh man. All right, are we gonna see, no, oh, not. Oh, not either. Oh, man, just another year or two. All right, and the last one. Awesome. So close. So close, but no. Thank you guys for helping, and I did not anticipate such a response. So find me after church. I'm going to be by my office. That's where all the candy is. So that's something for safety. Oh, there's a box of Smarties here. But that's for safety. But could you imagine if we had similar types of restrictions in the church? If we tried to have something... Uh, that seemed arbitrary, that wasn't quite for safety, that, um, you know, was just trying to get a sense of, of who it is, of, you know, are we, are we ready as tall? Could you imagine? Well, we'd hope we wouldn't use Pastor Steve for his height, otherwise I'd be out of here. It would be absolutely crazy to imagine that we set s- types of restrictions, such as being too tall or being a certain age for kind of participation in church. And this, of course, seems like an absolutely silly example. (laughs) But there might be ways in which we do restrict them. I'm going to take that. Thank you. (laughs) Right, so a sign like this, a restriction like this, it seems crazy and doesn't make sense. But I mean, we do have some restrictions on who can preach in our church. In fact, there are some folks visiting church today that are listening to my sermon to see if, well does Ben really have the stuff it takes? And this is good, so we're really appreciative that they are here because it means that they care about the gospel, that these rules to preach are not meant to stop people, but they're meant to help the church grow through good biblical preaching and to encourage those that feel called to do it, to do it well. But the disciples perhaps had a bad understanding, they had a bad set of restrictions on who could come see Jesus. They weren't operating on the right types of safety or growth. They thought that children would waste Jesus' time. What a horrible thing to think. But why would they think that? Well, back then, back 2,000 some odd years ago, children were not important. I know, can you guys believe that? Back then, they didn't think you were all that great. It's not like today. Today. Because here in Canada, when we look around our, our cities, we see that we have lots of schools, sports facilities, recreational facilities, programs. We have a ton of stuff available for you here in the church. A lot of us, we dedicate a lot of time to making sure that children, whether they're our own or others, feel valuable and important. There are people who specialize in medicine for children, understanding how you as kids learn how you grow so that you can have the best life possible, which is amazing. But back in Jesus's day, they didn't have any of that. They didn't have any child specialists. Children didn't have anything really geared towards them in society. In fact, more often than not, they just had to stay out of the way of the grown-ups, try and behave as best as possible, and maybe just work really hard with their parents to help the family earn money. But of course, they didn't get to keep any of it. There's no such thing as an allowance 2,000 years ago. And they couldn't do anything in the world without their parents. It was dangerous to be a child. They had what we say is no social status. They had no documents, they had no power, they had no authority, nobody would listen to them. They did not have a voice in society to ask for the things they needed. They had to rely on their parents for everything. And We're gonna come back to that point of reliance a bit later. And so in the disciples' minds, these children would just waste Jesus' time. They were not rich, so they couldn't give Jesus any money for his ministry. They were not strong or skilled workers, so they couldn't help their communities with improvement projects. They didn't have any school back then, so maybe the disciples thought these kids weren't very smart. They would ask silly questions, and Jesus had more important things to say and better people to teach, more adult questions to answer. Or maybe if they wanted to play with Jesus, Jesus would be too tired to heal people. All these things might have gone through their head as they said, no, you children cannot come and meet Jesus. So they stood in the way, telling the mothers that they were wrong to even attempt to bring their children to Jesus. What an awful thing to hear. I can hardly imagine the mothers wanting the very best for their kids to have a group of men stand in their way, telling them that they knew what their kids needed and that they didn't need Jesus. And what makes this especially hurtful is the disciples knew better. Now, we've all been in a position where we've known better and gotten burnt for it. And I want to share a story about how that literally happened to me. Now, this story is going to tell you something very specific about my age because this is when I was a kid. I was less than 12, sitting in the front seat of my parents' van, playing with this thing. Can we put up a picture of it? Now, I got some chuckles, which means some of you know what it is. Now, are any kids in the congregation, do you know what this is? If you have a guess, just shout it out a cigarette lighter. You must be driving an old van, eh? <laughs> That's good. So this is a cigarette lighter that used to be standard in all the vehicles, and it was, oh gosh, it was fun to play with. You would push it into the 12 volt battery outlet. There were no USBs. There's no CD player in this van. And it would use battery power to heat up the little coil on the end, and you could light a cigarette. Smoking's bad. Now, I had been told a dozen times by my mom not to play with it, not to touch it, because it was very hot. And I knew that. I knew that that coil on the end would heat up. It would turn bright orange, telling me it was hot. I knew this. Well, one day, of course, I was playing with it. And it was hot, and it was bright orange. But the orange, it slowly started to fade away. So I figured it was cool to touch as soon as it stopped being orange. Boy, I was wrong. (laughs) Because even though it wasn't orange, it was still painfully hot and burned my finger, and I learned something about you know, heat absorption there. But thankfully, we had just come back from the grocery store, and so we had bags of milk, so hashtag Ontario, uh, close at hand to soothe my new burn. Now in a sense, the disciples were playing with fire by turning these children away, and they were gonna get burnt because they didn't listen to Jesus. Because in the Gospel of Mark, just one chapter earlier, he records another time that Jesus was with children. This is also, if you're following along in your uh, activity sheet, this is part of the fill in the blanks. So if we could throw up the next verse there. So this is from Mark chapter nine, verse 36. This is talking about in Jesus. So Jesus, he took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the, arm, the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, does not only welcome me, but the one who sent me. So Jesus told them just a few moments ago in our story to welcome the children. Welcome the children and you welcome me and you welcome God, he says. Jesus knew how important the disciples thought he was. He knew that they respected him, he, that they, he listened to him. And he was elevating the children to be just as important as he was, even though they weren't important in society. So these kids were not stopped, were not to be stopped from meeting Jesus, from playing with him, from asking him silly questions, from being themselves. They were supposed to be allowed to approach them as they are. That is what Jesus wanted. Nothing to be restrictive about that. So the disciples knew, but they either forgot or decided they knew better than Jesus when it came to kids. And so Jesus corrects them. And he doesn't just correct them. He takes it one step further. It's not just enough to welcome children into our church, into our community, he says. But he says that we should receive the kingdom of God like a little child. Now, the text is not saying that we need to receive the kingdom like it is a child, that we should welcome it with those open arms, though we should do that. But what it's trying to get is that we should become like children so that we can receive the kingdom, so that we can be a part of God's work in changing our world. So why is this difference important? And it comes back to that social status we talked about kids earlier, that the very reason the disciples turned these kids away is the very reason that we need to pay attention. It's the very thing we need to learn from them so that we can come closer to God. So you kids have a lot to teach us just by being you. So I want to ask you, how many of you kids drove yourself here to church today? As in, you got behind the wheel and pushed the pedals and made it go. No hands. How many of you paid for the clothes that you wear, the shoes, how many of you took yourself to the store to buy it? What about the breakfast you ate this morning? Or all the gear you need for school, for sports, your backpacks and your pencils? My guess is that most, if not all of you, it's your parents or another adult have provided this for you. That is because you are dependent on your parents for everything from food to clothes to your house, for making doctor's appointments when you're sick, Everything that you have in life comes from someone like your parents. So the children that the disciples turned away, they were even more dependent than you are because there were no government-sponsored programs to care for kids, no social services of any kind. Without parents, back then, the fate for children was death or slavery. That's pretty grim. So we're thankful for the advancements that we have made in our society, that that's not your kids' only options if you're alone. But this then also highlights the troubling actions of the disciples even more. That they're not just turning away children who are dependent on their parents, they're turning away children who are incredibly vulnerable and at risk in their lives. For just as Pastor Steve said last week in his sermon, it has been said that a test of any culture's virtue is the treatment of its weakest and most vulnerable persons. The disciples were not practicing that pure and faultless religion that James would go on to write about. I imagine that this story might have been in James's mind as he was writing his letter, remembering the way that Jesus welcomed the weakest and most vulnerable in society to his arms. And it's this weakness, this vulnerability that Jesus is pointing to in the children. It's not a bad thing, he says. What is important to understand about kids in Jesus' day is not what we have come to love about our kids now. That wonder, joy, innocence, curiosity, the carefree nature that we all look at our kids and go, man, that was a good time to be young. None of that was really important back then because there was really nothing great about being a kid 2,000 years ago because of your dependence on others. And that is what Jesus highlights as important in our lives, dependence. And unless we come to that place of childlike dependence, We're going to struggle to receive that kingdom of God. And it fights against the independence, that opposite of dependence that we have so deeply ingrained in our culture, that you as kids are told you've got to grow up, move out, get a job, you've got to make your own way, that it's weakness to ask for help. Now, this is not to discourage any of you kids from moving out of your parents' house and getting a job. I don't want that to be your takeaway, that you're going to live with your parents forever. Because I'd love my kids to move out. I've only had them for three and a half months. kidding. Now, but if we constantly assert that the reason is purely for independence, then we do a disservice to our children because we stress that the ultimate goal of education, of work, is self-sufficiency. And that begins to seep into our church and our faith that everything has to be what I can do, what I'm going to go. We try to raise our children to become productive adults, contributing to society in a meeting way, meaningful way, avoiding dependence on social programs, working for that hard-earned dollar. So how should they then interpret church, that they must be productive in the church, fitting into the desirable jobs of leading worship, teaching Sunday school, or making that coffee for post-service fellowship? How does it work for them when they don't fit into that mold of ministry and productivity? So we have to make dependence a desirable trait in our church culture. Because we are all in the same place when it comes to needing grace. For no matter how old you are, how skilled you are, how long you've been a Christian, we are all dependent on that same grace. I've heard that Pastor Ken has often remarked that the foot of the cross is level ground. What an amazing thing to think about, especially for you kids. You guys and gals are all at the same place in the church as your parents, as your teachers, as Pastor Steve and myself when it comes to needing Jesus. None of us can earn our salvation. None of us can be independent in this church. In this way, this lesson from Jesus is not just for you kids, but it is for everyone. It is also a call to embrace people as they are, regardless of what they can contribute to our church, or more accurately, if they can contribute to our existing model of a good church community. Now, if you also are taking a look at your activity sheets, there's a section to write down five things that you like to do Take some time to fill out the five things that you really enjoy doing just anytime, wherever. It doesn't have to be a church thing while I directly address the adults in the room. Because do we want to try and push our children to a certain expression of faith and worship, afraid that if they aren't engaging in our church service and our programs in the right way, that people will think less of us as parents or be upset that we have brought such disruptive children into church? Of course, we want to maintain good order in our lives, to be virtuous, not be given over to chaos where everyone does whatever they want. But are we missing our children for who they are by limiting our own imagination to what worship in church community can be? And if we're gonna limit the children in our church, who else might we be restricting? So last week, we witnessed the baptism of Eleanor, and it's that picture of dependence there. Now, you kids remember coming forward Talking about what the water was being used for, for cleaning, for refreshing, that is part of baptism, and witnessing Pastor Steve generously sprinkle the water on her head. This so is part of it, Pastor Steve, he said, For you, Jesus Christ came into the world. For you, he died. For you, he conquered death. All this he did for you, little one, though you know nothing of it as yet. We love because God loved us first. And just as Eleanor, Three and a half months old is entirely dependent on Christ for her salvation. She is also dependent, just as we all are, on everyone else here. So rather than breaking us down into adults and kids, seniors, employed, retired, leaders, support, we ought to look at ourselves entirely as a community of dependence, Because all of us, and brothers and sisters, are in equal need of the Father in grace, James K.A. Smith writes about baptism in the family in this way. He says, The promise in baptism indicates a very different theology of family. The social role of the family that is configured by baptism is to be a family dependent on a large social body. Smith's focus is on making this community of grace our primary family, on the grounds of dependence. It is being dependent on each other, dependent on God that defines the church. There is not a whiff of promoting independence in scripture. But dependence is of course not a call to be passive. It is not a call to just sit back and let things wash over you, to say I'm just, I can't do anything. We can still do things. But it comes back to doing what we enjoy, to doing what we are called and created to do. So if you kids are looking back at your list of the five things that you would like to do, what's on there? What can you bring to our church community What are the things that you like to do that we should do more of together as a church? We could definitely use more dancers, more bug catchers, rock skippers, and tree climbers in our church to make those a part of our community makeup and to wonder how do we integrate that into a Sunday morning? Jesus invites the children to him as they are. He does not welcome them because of what they might do when they grow up, He doesn't welcome them because he needs to make them into productive members of society in a certain way. He welcomes them as they are. He loves them first. He loved you first and lets them be who God created them to be, weird and wonderful as it may be. And in that way, a dependent community is a welcoming one. So on your sheets, you'll also see the question, who belongs in the church? What might your answer be? Feel free to shout it out. Who gets to come to church? It's everyone feel free to scribble that down everyone everyone needs a community of grace because everyone is already dependent on God so we should invite as many people as we can to come and be dependent together we are invited by the words and actions of Jesus to reimagine our sunday services reimagine our weekly programs how do we welcome our children as they are to lead us in worship to take charge of programs that are created for them How do we enfold you guys more fully into our lives, thinking less about you needing something from us for faith development, and more about seeing you as fellow dependents who are on that level ground of the cross? One last visual example before we go. All right. So, everyone can see that? So these are my belts from karate. Wadokai to be exact. And you see here, all the way from my first belt at white up to my black belt. Now, this is not permission to come and start fights after church. It's a place of peace. But I bring this out to tell you a little bit about me, but also to tell you about what it was like to be at these various belt levels, to be in a class together. Because when you would look into our class, you would see all these different rankings there. You would know exactly how advanced every student was based on the color of their belt. But we all existed in the same room. We all went through the same exercises. We mixed up for sparring and practicing our forms, teaching and asking questions together. None of us were put into separate rooms away from each other, divided up by belt color. We were all together because no one is beyond practicing the basics. Everyone was invited to try something more difficult. Instead of saying this is too hard for a novice, they were invited to do their best, to practice, to imitate the more experienced belts. And so I'd would us to consider at the very beginning about our liturgy on a Sunday morning, our meetings as a church, not thinking that some of the things we talk about are too difficult for young ones to understand, so we have to excuse them. But instead, as we work through our liturgy, time and time again, to invite questions, to invite them to just walk through and imitate, understanding can come later. James uh, K.A. Smith, he adds this wonderful picture of a mother who smiles down at her infant, who doesn't know how to smile, but she smiles at her nonetheless. And eventually, through watching, the child learns to smile. Eleanor is in this wonderful stage of she's starting to learn to laugh, and a lot of that is just me laughing with her and her responding in kind, and it's a beautiful thing to see something that she has never done before, but to just be around laughter, she begins to pick it up. And so I see this as the idea of community, about being a community of dependence, as sort of a mission statement for my role as pastor of youth and family to work with all these generations in the church, to cultivate a deeper sense of what it means to be in the exact same place of dependence, to spend more and more time together, to not be worried if things are too difficult or too easy for various members at their stage in their faith journey, but to simply be, to be together knowing that we all are at the same spot of dependence. And so that starts with discovering ways to welcome our children into more of our church life, the things that we are already doing. We don't have to create anything new, but, to, and, but we could allow them to create something new. Allow them, allow you, as kids in the church, full of wonder and grace and excitement and ideas, what do you want to see in our community? Because you are just as much a part of us as anyone else here because I'm sure you have great ideas. Because just like all the adults here, God has created you for creativity. Let us pray. God Almighty, we thank you for the children in our church. We thank you for each and every one of them and who you have created them to be and the gifts and talents and skills and interests that are already present in our church. We are so blessed by them. Forgive us for when we sometimes get caught up in thinking that they can't do all the things that we want them to do. When they are not quite adult enough. We repent of that. We ask you to instill a sense of dependence in us to be as children in welcoming your kingdom, knowing that we only grow through our dependence on you and each other. God Almighty, bless us in this endeavor. and Let us welcome each and every one who would come through our doors on a Sunday in open arms. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.